My name is Brandon. Uh, we are, as he said, uh, looking at the uh, book of Matthew, uh, one of what we call the four Gospels, where we just, uh, we're taking selected passages and, uh, and looking at the life of Jesus. And today we hit uh, what seems to be, what appears to be, uh, this collection of three pretty random stories, but we're going to find out that they are anything but random, so let's get started. Uh, if you work at Exxon, uh, and I'm guessing it's possible some of you do, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but the, the CEO, uh, he makes more money than you do. Uh, I, don't, I don't know the culture of how transparent, but that's going to be the case. And, and here's, here's why. The CEO is more important to the company than you are. Now, I'm not saying you're not important, right? Don't send me an email saying, you've said I'm not important. I'm important to my company. I know you're important to your company. I'm simply saying that if you don't do your job well, that's not good. But you're probably not going to lose billions, all right? Uh, and here's the deal. Uh, corporations, they, they are... Uh, understandably, they are top-down organizations where the people at the top of the organization are uh, more important to the life, health, direction of the organization than those at, um, at the bottom. Uh, it, this is logical, understandable, standard, normal. It's why if you want to affect change in your company, you hire VPs, you don't hire janitors. The janitor is important to the company, but he doesn't shape the direction of the company. VPs do that. All right? But here's the question. When we look at the life of Jesus, do, do, we, do we see Jesus taking a more top-down approach or more of a bottom-up approach? Do we see Jesus um, looking for the social elites, uh, the powerful, uh, or do we see him looking more for the marginalized? And I think this is a really relevant question for us because one, one of the critiques of Christianity uh, is that Christians are all about the, the power grab, right? The, the influencers, the elite-like got to have the power in society. We've got to hold on to that power, grab it. But when we look at the life of Jesus, is this what we see? These three stories um, that Matthew in the end is going to weave together uh, answer that question for us. Of does Jesus see the world in a top-down or more of a bottom-up fashion? So let's look at them. Story number one, the social outcast. Verse one, when he, this is Jesus, came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him. Now, a, a leper, pause there. A, a leper is someone with leprosy, pretty straightforward. Uh, and leprosy was a skin disease uh, that, uh, that if you had it, it had both social and religious consequences. Um, that the way D.A. Carson, brilliant, the, one of my favorite theologians, said it like this. He said, if you, if you in this first century, if you had leprosy, you were basically the living dead. That the way society looked at you was as if you were the living dead. And so one of the living dead comes to Jesus and he says this, Lord, if you will, you make me clean. Now, here's the, here's the question. Why would this leper, this person with this medical condition, this skin condition, come to Jesus and say, make me clean and not say, make me well, not say, Heal me. Why? Why would he come and say, "Make me clean"? Here, here's the answer. Why? Um, if you had leprosy in this day, it, it was thought that you were impure, that you had done something that made you morally, ethically so impure that you weren't allowed to be in the presence of God. That God had stricken you with this as evidence of your impurity, that you were unclean, and you were excluded. You're not allowed to worship in Israel, which meant uh, to parallel 
If in all illustrations today are going to just fall short because uh, culture to culture, they just don't all translate, but we'll do the best we can. Um, when you walked in the two front doors out there, there were two greeters standing by the door. Uh, those two greeters are an extension of hospitality. That's us saying, hey, welcome, glad that you're here. We want to welcome you into our little community. In this day, they wouldn't have had greeters that have had guards, that have had two men standing out there, and if someone with leprosy would have tried to make their way up the steps, they'd have jumped in there, cut them off, and said, you're not welcome. You're not allowed here. You're not, you, you can't be here. Um, if uh, someone with leprosy would have gone to what we call a parish gathering, right, meeting in someone's home on a, on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night, there would have been somebody at the front door saying, hey, you're not welcome. Hey, you, you leper, you can't come in here. Why? Because you're going to defile everything you touch. You, you come in here, you make us unclean. We, the clean ones, that if we come in contact with you, we become like you, impure, unacceptable in the sight of God. So you can't come in and worship with us. You can't be in our homes. And that's this leper that comes to Jesus asking for healing. And so how does Jesus respond? Verse 3, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. You see what Jesus did? You see it? You, you may have missed it in there. Yes, he, he with a word said, be clean, and he became clean. He, he with a word healed a man on the spot. And then he said, yeah, hey, go and show yourself to be cleansed and healed now. Go and show yourself to be welcome to the temple now. But did you see where it started? You see where it started? It started with Jesus reached out a hand and touched him. This man who society said, you have to avoid. You have to avoid him at all cost. You touch him and you become like him. Jesus reached out a hand and touched him. And if I could try to maybe parallel what this is like for us today, um, it's akin to this. Now, you, you know how when you pull up to the corner of an intersection, let's call it, I don't know, let's, let's pick one, Shepherd and 11th. Um, I don't know why my dry cleaner is at Shepherd and 11th. That's why we picked that one. Um, Shepherd and 11th, you know sometimes there's a, a homeless person, a man without a home, on the corner asking for money. You know how sometimes you, you pull up and there's the, uh, the, the person who's homeless over here and you just, like, you just keep looking forward, like you see him at the corner of your eye, you're aware that he's there, but you just keep looking forward because you don't really know how to respond. So you just look here. Am I the only one? This is uncomfortable right now, so I'm feeling very nervous, all right? Jesus knew how to respond. Jesus opened the door, got out of the car, walked over to the man, looked him in the eye, reached out a hand and touched him and said, I see you. I see you. Am I saying to be the people of Jesus, it means that we get out of the car every time? That's not what I'm saying. I am saying this, that the ethic and the pattern of our life has to be a people who are hospitable and welcoming to the outcast. The people whose society says you, you belong on the fringes. You belong as an outcast. We, we have to come and say you are welcome here in our community. And can I, can I to sojourn, uh, can I tell you a bit of a fear that I have? 
Can I tell you one of the great fears that I have as we, um, in the years to come, age from 20s to more 30s to more 40s, and as urban Houston becomes a bit more uh, clean and pretty, you want to know one of the fears that I have? Here's one of the fears that I have. One of my fears is that we would become this community who throws money at the problems but not willing to get our hands dirty with the people living the problems. May it never be so of us. The point of story one is that Jesus welcomes and cares about the social outcast. Story two, the ethnically unwanted. Verse five, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Now, a, a centurion, this is a Roman officer, which meant Gentile, not a Jew, not, not part of Israel. Now, this was both the religious lines of the day, Jew-Gentile, but this is also the ethnic lines of the day. And so here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. This is a Gentile crossing the racial, crossing the ethnic line, coming to a Jew saying, I need your help, asking the Jew to cross the ethnic line back with him. And this is, uh, would have been to the Israelites, the Jewish person following Jesus, listening to Jesus. They would have seen this, they would have heard this request, and they'd have gone, okay, wait a minute, here's where we draw the line. Like, like I know, I get it, Jesus, like you, you touched the leper, that was bad enough, but now we've all got a line, man, and I know you're, you're not crossing this line, you're not going to go beyond, like, you're not going to do this. I, now, I get it, we all have lines, you're not crossing this one, Jesus, verse 7, and Jesus, he said to him, I will come and heal him. And so to the person listening to this, that, that Israelite waiting on their Jewish Messiah, they're going to see this and hear this and go, what are you doing? Like you're our Messiah. Like you're supposed to be our Jewish Savior and you're coming and healing the Gentiles? What are you doing? Like what about me? What about us? We're the ones who have followed your law, done all that we are supposed to have done and you show up and we're starting to think that maybe, just maybe, you're the one that we've waited thousands of years for and you're healing Gentiles, those who at times have oppressed us. You're su- what about me? What about us? What about me? Would have been, I think, a fair question, to be honest, if we could put ourselves in their shoes. But Jesus answers the questions. Keep reading. Verse 8. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him. Now, before I read this last little line right here, do the best you can to put yourself in their shoes. Like, we've been, we've been waiting on our Messiah. Like, we, we are the Jewish people. We are the lineage of God been waiting on our Messiah to come. We're starting to think this is our Messiah. And listen to this. Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. What about me? What about me? This is what they would have just heard. That there is no one in Israel worthy, more worthy of Jesus' healing power than that Gentile over there. 
No, like, like no one. This would have been obviously and understandably enraging and perplexing to them. And so maybe parallel to our life, right, that, that, um, that, that constant, like, like, what, like, what about me, Lord? What about my life? Like, why, why is it always going so good for that person and that person and that person while my life is never adding up? Like, why, why am I always the, the, the bridesmaid, never the bride, always the groomsman, never the groom? Why, why, uh, you, why is he getting promotion after promotion after promotion and I'm not? Why is she getting close to partner and I'm not? What about me? To which Jesus, back to his original audience, says, you, you just don't get it, so I'm going to make it clear. Verse 11, I tell you, many will come from east and west. That's, uh, that, that's the entire world. It's all nations, all races, and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. That, that table that you've been waiting for, that, um, that, that seat with your heroes that you've been so waiting for, Jew, Israel, like the nations are going to be at that table. The nations are going to be there while the sons of the kingdom, that's Jewish people, will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a graphic description of complete and utter absence of the presence of God. And then he turns to the centurion, and Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And so Jesus is saying to these Jewish men and women, like, hey, listen, you, you know your Bible, but you don't know your Bible at all. It was always about the nations. My redemptive plan, God's redemptive plan, has always been about the nations from beginning to end. It was never about one race or one ethnicity. One, it was about one kind of person, the kind of person that shares the faith of the centurion. Never about just one race. He's saying to these religious um, men and women who think I'm the insider with God because I do X and I do Y and I do Z. And hey, you who think you're the insider, you're actually the outsider, but I came so that outsiders could become insiders. And don't miss this, that to do so, Jesus crossed ethnic lines that didn't get crossed. Point of story, too, is that Jesus crossed ethnic lines to make outsiders insiders. And now, Story three, a marginalized woman. Verse 14, and when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hands, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. Now, in most ancient societies, women were second-class citizens. They, they, were, uh, they were a marginalized class. They were a, a unwanted group. And you notice that in this little uh, story right in the little two verses that we have that there's no reference to Jesus addressing the men first. There's no um, Jesus walking into Peter's house and saying, um, Peter, the man of the house, I pay homage to you. Uh, if it's okay with you and pleasing to you, may I go and heal the woman? He simply walks in, looks at her, and goes and heals her. He is treating the woman with the same dignity and respect that he would a man. What Jesus does is he breaks down lines of dignity. If I could 
maybe illustrate this one. It's, it's the equivalent of a VP at Exxon treating a janitor with the same respect he would a CEO. And then did you see that Jesus went to the marginalized? That he went to her? That he pursued her? That, he, that, I, that there's, there's nothing about her coming to him, and I know she was paralyzed. I can read that too. I'm aware she wasn't going to hop up and walk to him. But she doesn't even ask for it. That the ethic of Jesus' life is that he goes to the marginalized. And as the people of Jesus, the ethic of our life is that we go to the marginalized. The point is that Jesus cares about the outcast leopard, the unwanted Gentile, and the marginalized female. But now Matthew does something where he brings these stories together in a way that, uh, that, that no other author inside the Scriptures or even outside the Bible does. Verse 16, that evening, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and he bore our disease. So our little section, our little passage here, um, Matthew is broken up into these series of, of little units of thought and ours has three stories that he then brings together a recap, verses 16 and 17, that the Matthew grammatically links together. And in 16, he, he just displays Jesus' undeniable, absolute authority over all things visible and invisible. And then in verse 17, this is what he does that no other author um, anywhere does. He quotes Isaiah 53, 4, and applies to physical healing. That, that this is a really fairly famous verse in the Bible about this suffering servant that was prophesied to come, but every time it's referenced in the New Testament, it's always in reference to Jesus dying on the cross for our sin. It's always in reference to him suffering in our place for our sin. And not only in the New Testament, but also in the, uh, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So in this day, um, they had a, uh, a Greek translation of the Old Testament. It was written in Hebrew. Um, and I know you've been dying. You've been waiting 30 years to find out how it is that they translated Isaiah 53.4. I'm going to tell you right now. The wait is over. This is how it translated it. He carries our sins and is distressed on our behalf. So even the Greek translation of the Old Testament looks at Isaiah 53, 4 and says, whoever Isaiah was talking about, it was talking about someone who would suffer for our sin. And Matthew is the only one who takes that verse and applies it to physical healing and physical suffering. What in the world is Matthew doing? Because he just set up a verse that has been abused over and over and over and over. Too many of us grew up and we heard, hey, if you just have enough faith, you'll be healed. If you believe in Jesus, you, that healing is for you. I can prove it. It's right here in the text. So what's he doing? What, what's Matthew doing here? Could, could it be that Matthew is making a point? Could it, could it be that Matthew, this, this man consumed, is showing Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, is making a point? Could it be that he's giving these illustrations of how that redemption from sin would take place? That, that he knows that you're going to keep reading in my letter and you're going to get to the cross. And when you get to the cross, you're going to connect the cross back to Isaiah 53 as you should. And when you do, you're going to remember my words and you're going to connect my words to what happened on the cross. You're going to know that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, when he was there, flesh being torn, blood being poured out, that he was becoming a leper for you. 
But he was becoming the leper. He was becoming the outcast. He was the marginalized on the cross that he died for your sin. He became sin. That he became unclean so that we, we could become clean, acceptable in the sight of God. That he died outside the camp. He became the unwanted Gentile, if you will. And he knew marginalization. He knew what it felt like. That's why he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? And why is this? Why does it matter? Because this is who you are. This is who I was. This is who we're born. We are born outside the camp. We are born unclean. We are born outsiders. And Jesus became the outsider to invite us in, to make outsiders insiders. And those of us who have been redeemed by the glory and the grace of God in Christ, that look at Jesus and see him going outside the camp to bring us in. These stories of Jesus' life, they, they, they become not just cute, parabolic stories of who he was, but they become stories that are meant to mark our story. They become stories that we're meant to live. It shapes the kind of people that we are to be and become. This is our chapter in God's redemptive story that God for thousands of years has been writing this redemptive story from generation to generation to generation to generation. And 500 years ago, um, Europe somewhere, Africa somewhere, there, there were men and women in a room like this reading passages like this saying, hey, this is our turn, this is our chapter and what God is doing. May we be marked by these. And now, 500 years later, we're in a room. They didn't have lights. We have lights. They didn't have mic, but we have a mic. And we're saying, may we be marked by these. It means that we need to be a people who cry out and plead for healing. Begging for, that it's going to be, if we live life together long enough, there's going to be a day where you get the call and I get the call. We get the call that none of us want, and when it's our turn to get that call, we come around one another, and we cry together, and we pray together, and we plead, oh God, flex your healing muscle like only you can. When, they, when we have miscarriages inside of our family, we, we come around one another, we pray for healing. And when healing doesn't happen, we Fight to trust God together. And you know what we don't do? We don't look one another in the eye and say, if you just had enough faith. This is a text that has been abused over and over and over to say, if you have enough faith, if you believe, healing will be yours. But did you notice in the, in the text of three stories uh, that only one of them, faith, was even involved? Did you notice that? Only one of the three even came to Jesus and said, hey, will you heal me? Only the leper came and said, Jesus, can you heal me? The, the servant was healed through the faith of another, the centurion. The paralyzed woman didn't even know what was happening. We have no evidence that she knew what was happening. He just walked in, went to her, and healed her. The common thread is that Jesus heals when he says, I will. That's the common thread. And in seasons where he says, I won't, we come together and we circle around one another and we pray and we cry out to God to do it. It means that as a community, we welcome the outcast as Jesus did with the leper. And listen, I, I know that most of us in this room, 
I know most of us in this room, we, we, we don't feel and we're not society's outcast. The, the truth is that the majority of us in this room are society's in-cast. We're to be a people who welcome the outcast, welcome the outsider, hospitable to those on the fringes and the margins of society. And I, and I don't want to ignore this. I don't want to ignore this. I don't want to ignore uh, that some of us in this room grew up in homes where feeling wanted was anything but our story. And the church is this community where those of us who grew up feeling like an outcast in our own homes can feel like an incast in this community. That's why we talk about uh, often that we want to be a family. We're not trying to feel like family. We're trying to be a family. Those are significantly different. It means that as Jesus did with the centurion, we cross ethnic lines. It means that we resist the temptation to gravitate toward people who look like me and away from people who don't. It means that we value stories of people who were raised in different cultures than mine and not just African-American, Hispanic, Caucasian, Asian, Australian, but rich, poor, middle class, down the street, uh, one house my whole life, revolving from country to country to country. It means that we value stories of people who are raised in different cultures than ours, and we cross ethnic lines to be a part of racial reconciliation. It means that, that what he referenced it earlier, that, that at the heart of the gospel is that there is no more Jew-Gentile. We are reconciled in Christ, and so we need to be a people who value and desire and are willing to put flesh on the line to pursue racial reconciliation. It means that as Jesus did with the woman, we pursue the marginalized. We pursue the marginalized. You, you notice that when you read the like you can read the Bible five times, six times, as many times as you want. You know what you're never going to find? You're never going to find Jesus look at someone and say, you know how this works? God helps those who help themselves. Man, just help yourself a little bit and God will come and do the rest. All right, that's not an excuse for laziness. That's not what I'm trying to say, but I am trying to say that that's not in the Bible. We actively pursue the marginalized. We actively go after him. And the church is a place where no one gets left behind. Those on the fringes, not just who feel left behind, but those who are being left behind. The church is a community, a redeemed community, where no one gets left behind. And let me, let me bring this one in a little bit to us and flesh it out for us. It, it means uh, one application is that we don't have somebody in our community struggling to eat while somebody else lives in abundance. We, we give our lives away for one another, and that means those who the Lord has graciously given much to, we sacrifice for those who are in need. Inside of this community, that's the kind of community we're going to be. It's the kind of community we are, to be honest. Uh, and if you're new to Sojourn and you're wondering, hey, is this for me? I don't, I don't know. Like this is week two, week three, week four. Let me tell you what we're going to ask you to do. We're going to ask you to give your life away for the good of your neighbor, for the glory of our God, but in the good of your neighbor, for the good of the person sitting next to you in this room. And listen, if that's scary, if you hear me saying, hey, some with abundance, some in need, we're going to ask you to give your life away, which means sacrificing. Like if that's scary for you, we understand. Welcome to the club. It's scary for me too. Scary for me too. But if you just say, man, no way. Like that, that is not like I'm here to get what I need to get and that's the end of the road for me. At some point, we're going to clash. And we're going to clash 
because we want more for you, because we're going to love you enough to say, you know what, you're meant to experience. You're meant to live your life in this little community where you experience someone giving their life away for you as you give your life away for them. You're meant to live this out. This is what it means to be the people of Jesus, nothing more, nothing less. And so did Jesus take a top-down approach? Not at all. Not at all. When Jesus uh, wanted to effect change, i.e. come and establish the kingdom of heaven on earth, he could have brought revival to the religious elites, the Jewish men. Instead, he chose a leper, a Gentile, and a woman. May we be, may we be the kind of community we're always willing to get our hands dirty for the outcast, for the unwanted, for the marginalized. May we be willing to cross ethnic boundaries for the good of one another. May we value stories that are not like our story, knowing that God weaves us together to strengthen one another and may be willing to give our life away for the good of our neighbor. Let me pray. Father, I'm, I'm asking that our lives would never be so pretty that we're not willing to get our hands dirty with the lives around us. And, and where we have blind spots that we are already too pretty and we're already too unwilling to get our hands dirty, may we repent. May we be a people willing to repent and say, no more. We're going to follow the lead of our Jesus. And we're going to reach out and we're going to touch the leper. We're going to look him in the eye. We're going to go to the marginalized and say, you're, you're not marginalized with me. You're not unwanted here. And as Jesus valued at the centurion, may, may, we, may we not so value the marginalized that we forget our immediate neighbors. May we be like Jesus, valuing the person in front of us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.